Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. From KMOX Sports. The bases are loaded. This is the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing and a long one to left. Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm. Because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. He hits one deep to left field. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. It's a slammer! With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Line on KMOX. It's the last Friday before baseball starts for real, guys. Six days from today, we'll be doing Sports Open Line following the opening game. Following opening day. I don't know why I called it the opening game. That was weird. It was like I couldn't say opening day for contractual reasons, but that's stupid. I can I can say that because opening day is here on KMOX in six days. So it'll be right around now, somewhere in the vicinity of 6 p.m., 6, 10 p.m. Central Time next Thursday that we're wrapping up the opening day game. Adam Wainwright starting against the Pirates. The Pirates running, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to be mean, a triple-A lineup out there. Uh, and yeah, it's not it's not good, uh, but we'll, we'll get more into the the Pirates and the matchup there. I know that's not nice to say, um, and it's true that the guys on the other team get paid too, um, and they got some good players over there. You know, Brian Reynolds is really good, but you know, you listen to the way things are being reported, he might be a Padre by Thursday. You know, we keep hearing all the re- the, the, the reports of you know Reynolds being talked about, and you know, God forbid they actually keep someone that's going to make a salary and God forbid even more, they sign someone to a long-term contract. But uh, for the pirates looking at Fangraphs roster resource, they project uh, Yoshi Sutsugo to be their cleanup hitter and Ben Gamble to be the right fielder and bat fifth. Uh, the bottom of their order right now is according to, again, according to Fangraphs, and this is just a projection. Doesn't mean it's going to be this way. But it's Roberto Perez, Greg Allen, Diego Castillo, and Kevin Newman. And I bet you don't know a lot of those guys. I, I know them, but obviously uh, they are not players of renown. And uh, they, you know, they got a couple kids that we'll see later on. And you'll re- you'll recognize Brian Reynolds and Key Brian Hayes if he's even there because he's battling an ankle injury. So that's what's gonna that's what you're gonna be facing coming up on opening day. It's it's a pretty shaky Pirates team and. I don't think they've named an opening day starter. The Cardinals have named Adam Wainwright. Least shocking thing in the world. Very much deserved. Perfect for the atmosphere. And guys, it might it might work out perfectly for Albert Pujols on opening day too. Because if one of the candidates to start opening day for the Pirates is left-hander Jose Quintana. So that would be kind of cool. 
because not I think he's going to be in there on opening day anyway. But to have him do it in that role against the lefty would be even better because you got a little bit better chance at some damage, something really cool happening. So six days away from opening day, the Cardinals roster is starting to take shape. I think they I think it said today I'm going to double I'm going to double check this. I think they're down to 34 players left in camp. Uh, after today's game, they sent Blake Parker and Matthew Libertor to to the minor leagues. Uh, Parker is was signed to a minor league deal with an invitation to spring training when he initially signed. But I mean, he's he was most likely ticketed for Memphis no matter what because he's not on the 40 man and they'd have to dump someone to get him on there. And he's like 35, 36 years old. And I don't think they're ready to do that. But he could be a factor later if they have some injuries and they need some need an experienced arm to come up. Anyway. Those two guys going to AAA is no big surprise, so now they're down to 34 men in camp. Now, keep in mind, they're going to have 28 on opening day. You know, in, in April, the major league teams are going to have 28 players, and then in May, it'll go back down to 26. You only got six more guys that are currently in camp that'll be sent out here at some point. So we're getting close to the final roster, and, you know, some of it will come down to, you know, guys, they're only three more spring training games. I mean, they, they play tomorrow. Off Sunday, they play Monday and Tuesday, and then they're back here for a workout on Wednesday, opening day on Thursday. So it's not like there's a lot of time. And I don't think that I don't think that the decisions on the roster are necessarily going to be made on these last three days, but maybe, maybe a spot or two in the bullpen, especially with the extended bullpen, could be determined based on what happens over those three games. You do have some people competing for spots, but we know what the roster looks like. We know kind of where it's heading. Um, you know, we know what the rotation is for the most part. We do not know the fifth starter yet. And I know uh, my good buddy Derek Gould had a, had some interesting stuff about Andrew Verhagen, and obviously they'd like him to run with that job if possible, and he struggled a bit yesterday. And I don't know that we, we need to get too detailed into somebody's struggles um, in spring training, good or bad. I, I think it's one of those deals where, you know, stats don't always tell you the whole story. You never know when somebody's just working on a particular thing, right? And I talked about this a number of times. You know, like, for example, Paul DeYoung is having a great spring. We know that he made a point of emphasis of, you know, kind of fixing his approach, maybe, and made some mechanical adjustments, did some things differently in his preparation this year to try to become a more productive and consistent player than he's been the last couple of seasons. And he, and the, the results in the spring have been great. I mean, his numbers are phenomenal. He, 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 and and by the way, not only did he not play today, but nobody, none of the, none of the regulars played uh, in the spring training game today against the Mets, the seven to two win. They all got their work in on the backfields. And I, I'm not sure exactly why I think that was because there was rain in the area and they weren't sure that they were going to get the game in. Uh, but, you know, I say that about Verhagen, not that it doesn't matter if you don't look great, but it's not the main thing that matters because they are evaluating players on more things than just what they do in the games. I mean, they're being evaluated on their bullpen sessions, what they did in live VPs, what they're doing on backfields whenever they get a chance to do that. So it'll be interesting to see because Verhagen and Jake Woodford would seem to be the two choices. And I don't think either one of them is a bad choice. I personally, and again, nobody, nobody, on the coaching staff gives a crap what my opinion is <laughs> and I wouldn't offer it to them if I was talking to them. But since I'm, the, I'm on the radio and my job is to talk about what I'm thinking, that's what I'm going to do. I would kind of like the idea of Jake Woodford in the rotation to start with Verhagen in the bullpen. I'm intrigued by Verhagen as a reliever. 
I'm not down on the idea of him as a fifth starter or anything like that, but I'm intrigued by the idea of him as a reliever because he's got the 94 to 96 mile an hour four seam fastball and he's got a really nasty curveball. And all you need are those two pitches to be a successful reliever and maybe even the guy that can be what we talked about Alex Reyes being potentially this year and even initially last year. The guy that could come in and give you two or three innings out of the pen. You know, got you, you know, it's early in the year. You've got a lead after the fifth. You're, you know, Jake Woodford's thrown 75 pitches. He's not really ready to go to 100. Oh, here we go. Let's give Verhagen the sixth and seventh inning. And he can go out there blowing 95, 96 with a nasty curveball. So I'm, I'm curious about him. I don't know exactly how they see it. We're going to find out soon enough. So that's how things are lining up. Now, coming up next, I want to get into the story that everybody's tweeting about, everybody's buzzing about, everybody's asking me about, both on social media and in person and on the air and off the air. What did you think of the Mike Schilt story that Bob Nightingale wrote? I'll tell you what I think about it. Coming up next on KMOX. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All right, so let's get into it, man. Everybody's been asking me, and I, I understand why, because I cover the Cardinals, about Bob Nightingale's story where he talked to Mike Schilt. And Mike Schilt, to give him credit, was open and honest uh, about how much his firing hurt, about how unexpected it was. Um, you know, he said, I have a broken heart. You know, it still hurts. And in fact, I'll just read the quote. He said, when it first happened, I broke down. I was inconsolable. Uh, he said, I got better as time went on. Then I got down here, put on a Padres uniform, and it hit me. And then now it's hit me again. Basically, I'm not a Cardinal anymore. And look, you know, I I understand all of that. I mean, I, I, I really respect what Mike Schilt did with his career. I, he did a good job managing the Cardinals, too. I mean, all of us that watch second-guess managers, we second-guessed Tony La Russa, we second-guessed Mike Matheny, we second-guessed Mike Schilt. That's what we do as fans. We watch the game, we play along in our head, and we're like, I wouldn't do it that way, or I would do it that way, whatever. We're always playing along. That's normal. So to me, nothing stood out in that regard about Mike Schilt. Mike Schilt made it to the playoffs three years in a row. The Cardinals became, once again, a fundamentally sound team, one of the best defensive teams in the league. Now, that's not all credited to him and the coaching staff. They also have players that have defensive capabilities. Paul Goldschmidt was a gold glover before he was a Cardinal. Nolan Arenado was a platinum glover before he was a Cardinal. So some of it is acquiring those players. And by the way, 
Harrison Bader is a quality defender, and he would be if he was somewhere else too. But I got to give Mike Schilt credit because the defense did get better when he took over, even with a lot of the same players on the field. The base running got a lot better. Their attention to detail got a lot better. And I don't know why that was exactly. Maybe it was just, hey, different voice, Cardinal guy through and through, you know, George Kissel disciple, all that, and it and it rang true with the players, and they bought in. Where maybe with the previous uh, head, previous manager, they they were not as bought in, or maybe his focuses were on different things. But regardless, Mike Schilt did a good job. They won games, made the postseason. But there's that's only one part of doing your job. Another part of doing your job is providing your bosses what they want. You guys have jobs. I have a job. If my boss if, if my boss sets the expectation for me, hey, Wheeler, you know, it was really smart for us as the home of the Cardinals when you're doing sports open line to focus on the Cardinals. You know, we, can, we, should, we should talk a lot of baseball. Not that I'm going to fight that, but I'm just I'm, I'm making an example here. If, he, if that's the expectation of me, and I do... I do baseball, but I try to I try to do as little as possible, or maybe I do less of it than I should because I want to talk about heavy metal music instead, or I want to talk about Olympic sports instead, or whatever. If I'm not delivering what my bosses are asking of me, there's a good chance somebody else will get a chance to do the job. And I think that's something that we all understand. And there there are some interesting angles, and there's one I want to get into in the next segment as we go through this hour, because to me, this is a multi-layered story. There's the first part here, the acknowledgement that Mike Schilt did a good job as the manager of the Cardinals, arguably a great job as the manager of of the Cardinals. And, you know, he's a lifer. He put his professional career into the organization. But, you know, and I give him credit because he pointed this out in the piece with Bob Nightingale. You know, that goes the other way, too. That credit goes to him for putting in the time and all that. But it also credit to the team <laughs> for giving him the opportunity and then recognizing what he's doing and promoting him and giving that, him in that chance. And there are a couple things in here that are, that are fascinating to me. I mean, one, it's interesting to me. Now... I'm not Mike Schilt, so I, I can't, I'm not trying to say that he's right or wrong. I'm just saying that it's interesting. It's interesting to me that you've got a job with a new organization, and a week before opening day, you're talking about the one that let you go. And I understand it because he's he's gonna get another managerial job. I'd be shocked if he didn't. And I understand, you know, to a degree wanting to, you know maybe get some sentiment on your side or maybe give people a little bit more, although he didn't really give us a little bit more because we still don't have, and we we will never have, I don't think, straight from the horse's mouth on either side of this debate what exactly led to the change. We know the philosophical differences part, right? We know it's been reported by Derek Gould, uh, Rick Kummel, They've done a great job. Bernie Miklas has had some great reporting on this stuff, too. We know that there was tension over Jeff Albert's philosophy and the way things were going there. We know that 
there were some disagreements, hence philosophical differences, about things moving forward. We've had people like Bernie Miklas who have pointed out that there was some tension on the coaching staff about how things were going there. Now, again, nobody involved is saying anything on the record. So we don't know. We're not in there. And that's a difficult thing because when you don't know, what do you do? Or, you know, and I, I'm saying that to the royal you, right? The general you, not to you as an individual. But what do human beings do when we lack enough information? We fill in the blanks ourselves. Well, this must be the over-controlling front office's fault. Or, well, this must be that Mike Schilt's ego got too big and he said the wrong thing. And we, we don't know. We Again, we got some ideas. And there, again, there's been some good writing and reporting on this. But we still, there's a difference between having a better idea, having a good idea, and knowing. And what I tweeted last night was I find it interesting how people's confirmation bias plays into this. So if you're someone that's critical of the way the front office does business when it comes to trades or free agency or whatever, well, then you're blaming them. It's got to be their fault. And if you were someone that was hammering the manager last year for his lineups, for his bullpen moves or whatever, well, then those people are blaming Schilt. Must be Schilt's fault. And look, the reality is this happened because of what both sides see as the way forward for this franchise. And I hate to break it to you guys, but the boss is the boss. And the boss almost always wins. Whether it's John Mosaloc or it's my boss or your boss, most of the time in these types of situations, the boss wins. If he doesn't like a certain direction, fine. And I thought it was interesting that Tony LaRusso weighed in on this. I mean, he's one of the most respected managers in the history of the sport. And his opinion was, well, if there's any quote-unquote toxic environment, that must be from the front office. That was Tony's take. In fact, that's what he said. He said, quote, my comment was that if it was toxic, it must be the front office. And look, I mean, Tony's opinion is respected, and I'm not saying he's wrong because I don't know, but I don't think he knows exactly either. And a manager's position is typically going to be backing another manager because that's your job too. You know this dynamic from that side, and, and Tony does know it from the other side too, but not as the president of baseball operations or the GM. He knows it from more of a consulting role in the front offices that he's been a part of. But see, Tony's also a manager from a different time. And that time was when the manager was the man in charge. The manager was the big boss. If you play video games, right, you're always going to run into the big boss at some point. That used to be the manager on a baseball team. It's not anymore. That is now the top guy in the front office, whether he's called the GM or he's called the president of baseball operations or whatever his title is. That's the big boss on a baseball team now, not the manager. That started to change 10, 12, 13 years ago. That change is almost complete. There are a few outliers with managers that have, um, let's just say, the weight of ownership on their side rather than the front office side. One of them happens to be Tony LaRussa because of his relationship with the owner in Chicago, Jerry Reinsdorf. 
but it's also about perspective. So this is why I'm saying there's, I can't say that anybody's wrong in this situation because I don't know. I can't say Tony's wrong. He might be right. I don't know. I can't say that, that Mo and DeWitt were wrong in this. I don't know. And you know what else is going to help us decide that is how does the team look this year? How does it function with Ali Marmol instead of Mike Schilt? If it's a lot of the same, well, then it's not a big change. If it's better with a lot of the same pieces, well, then maybe it's a good move. And if it's worse, well, maybe it is a bad move. But we don't have that information yet. I can't tell you whether it was a good idea to move on from Mike Schild or not. I would love to have a hot take and say, it was the worst move ever, or it was the best move ever. I just don't know. We're going to see. We have to see it play out. Now, there are a couple of angles I wanted to get into here. One of them is going to be, later in the hour, the changing role of the manager. Because the game has evolved to the place where the manager matters a lot. Because the manager is the guy that runs the roster, that deals with the players face-to-face, that has to keep people happy, that has to help implement the plan. The manager is really important, but the manager is not the big boss man anymore. And I don't think it's ever going the other way. And we're going to get to that a little bit later on. But I also think it's it's interesting how this is being portrayed. Like, man, I feel so bad for, for Mike Schilt. And I do too. I mean, look, his dream was to manage the Cardinals and he's not anymore and all that. Like, I, I, I feel for that. But I don't know what he said in any of those meetings. I don't know how hard he pushed. I don't know if he stepped on someone's toes or if he if what he said was just completely antithetical to what the team wants moving forward. I mean, at, at, at some point for all of us, the truth is we've got to give our boss what our boss wants, right? It's the same in sports. We'll continue on next up. A little more Cardinals baseball on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Line on KMOX. All right, let's do uh, a little bit more on this story. I mean, first, you know, I, I do understand the, the curiosity uh, about, um, you know, the, the, the Schilt situation from, you know, like a Bob Nightingale, for example, or people that are covering the game on a national level or people maybe that are Padres fans and they didn't really follow it when it happened. Like, I, I really, I understand the interest there, right? I mean, it's not that often that you're going to see a manager that just made the playoffs three years in a row get let go. It's happened before. I mean, it, I, mean I don't know about three years in a row, whatever. I haven't looked it up. But, I mean, managers that are having success have been let go before. And sometimes it's a money thing. Sometimes it's they don't get along with the front office or they don't see uh, the path forward the same way. From my end, and, and this has nothing to do with whether I'm doing pre or post games on the Cardinals. This just has everything to do with a talk show host in St. Louis. I don't see anything new here. Did you see anything new? And this is, again, not a knock on Bob Nightingale. I'm a fan. I like Bob. Good dude. Good baseball writer. It's just that when I read the story, it was it was interesting to hear 
you know, Mike Schilt get into how much it bothered him and how much, you know, he it meant to him to be the manager here and all of that. But there wasn't anything in there to me that changed what I already knew. You know, we got a little more detail on the Zoom call that, you know, didn't go the way that Mike Schilt thought it was going to go and all that. And again, on a personal side, it's an interesting story. From a from a baseball standpoint, from a 2022 standpoint, didn't really change a lot for me because, again, my stance is still, I don't know. If the team does better this year, then... Again, even that is subjective, right? I mean, I am a believer, and I have been forever, that the player makes the manager, and it's never the other way around. And I learned that from Sparky Anderson. I am I stole that from Sparky Anderson. He said that his one of his most famous quotes, the players make the manager, it is never the other way around. And that's the truth. You're never going to find a successful manager or head coach in sports that doesn't have a great player. You're never going to find Phil Jackson without Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Kobe Bryant, and Shaquille O'Neal. You're never going to find a Red Auerbach without Bill Russell. You're never going to find Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. The players make the manager or the coach. The, the coach can be, manager can be brilliant, can be tactically a genius, and if you don't have the players, you're not going to get anywhere. Now, that doesn't mean that coaches and managers don't matter. They do. They clearly matter. But they don't matter as much as the makeup of the roster. So, you know, this year, for example, if things are better because Dakota Hudson can make 28 starts and Miles Michaelis can make 28 starts and neither of them did much for the team last year, well, is that because Ali Marmol is that much smarter or is that because... Two of the guys you want in your rotation were healthy and they made their starts as opposed to having Yon Oviedo and Daniel Ponce de Leon and John Lester coming in for a tryout late in the year. Like, you know, you're not, if you don't have to piecemeal the rotation together and you win 94 games this year instead of 90, that's not automatically to the credit of the new guy. Although, it, I mean, again, it could be because, you know, it's all about how it plays out. You know, are, are the tactics used are they new do they become more modern when it comes to getting starters out of games earlier and putting more on the bullpen and using the bullpen in a more creative way as opposed to finding a closer and naming a closer and sticking with a closer and all that you know is the lineup construction different is is the new plan as it is executed in the regular season is the new plan going to be we're playing the lineup every day based on matchups so that could mean the batting order changes based on matchups. That could mean, um, you know, Albert starts against the lefty and Corey Dickerson against a righty. Uh, does that also mean that we have more mid-game changes? You look at the Dodgers as an example. A lot of times the Dodgers against a left-handed starter will have a right-hand heavy lineup. And as soon as they go to the pen, here come the Dodgers lefties right in the middle of the game. Left-handed hitters, I mean. So... We have to determine, like, how much does that change? Do the tactics change? And by the way, if they do, I think we start to have an idea of more of, like, what went into the, quote, philosophical differences. 
But we don't know exactly what will happen because it hasn't happened yet. But we do know that that Ali Marmol has talked about those things being a little different. He has talked about taking advantage of matchups and different lineup combinations based on, you know, how the, the opponent is that day. I was going to say analytics, but people always get mad when you say analytics. I don't know why people don't like that word. If you don't like that word, why don't you like it? Would it, would it help if it was a different word? Would it help if we just said, use the scouting reports? <laughs> because that's really what they are. They're just compiled from multiple sources now instead of the eyeballs of, of a human being or multiple human beings. It's that and it's what do what does performance tell us? People are like, it's too much about numbers. Well, no, the numbers just measure performance. The numbers themselves don't mean anything without context. And all you have to do to figure that out is to learn, look at spring training, right? You can see somebody sitting 400 in spring training. Well, that doesn't tell you a damn thing how they're going to hit for six months over the regular season, good or bad. You know, if you're hitting 100 right now, doesn't tell us anything. The quality of contact will tell you something, and the teams know that. We don't have access to that information in spring training. So, you know, I'd say that, you know, this year, if the team is better or worse than the last three years, it might not be directly because of the manager. It, it very well might be, oh, crap, Arenado missed half the year with a bad knee or whatever. Like, if you know, like things change. If players that are count, being counted on don't perform, all right, well, there's only so much coaches and managers can do about that. That's, you know, that's on the players. So, you know, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting ride this year. I think that, you know, this is an extra level of intrigue to me to see how it's going to go. And this has been this way for me for each of the managerial changes so far, right? I was really interested to see what it would look like with Mike Matheny doing it instead of Tony LaRussa. You know, we all got really accustomed to what Tony LaRussa did. And look, Tony was an innovator all on his own, right? In a lot of what he and Dave Duncan did in the 80s in Oakland. Kind of lit the pathway for how people started doing things when it came to running bullpens after that around Major League Baseball. You know, I mean, it was the Cardinals in 2011 that were the first team, I believe the first World Series winner in history, that got more innings pitched during a World Series run from their bullpen than from their starting rotation. So you could argue that bullpenning started with Tony. You know, he did the pitcher batting eight thing. A lot of people didn't understand it. I didn't like it because it didn't make any difference. Like the numbers showed that there was no real advantage to doing it. It was the same as hitting the pitcher nine, but wasn't something to hate by any means. And, you know, instead of the changes coming that way now, this is kind of the next level that I wanted to get into. Instead of changes in tactics, instead of changes in the way a lineup is put together being done based on a manager's evaluation, right, a manager's methodology, their gut feel, if you will, it's a lot more about data. It's a lot more about information gathered. From scouts, yes. From the coaching staff and the manager, yes. But also from people who are trained throughout their their professional lives to analyze results, data. What does that tell us about defensive positioning? What does that tell us 
about scouting an opponent's pitcher? What does it tell us about um, how we pitch a certain hitter or when we make pitching changes? And now you have a lot more minds involved in this type of thing. And that's what I wanted to get into next. We all need to come to grips with this. This is not a bad thing. It is not a St. Louis thing, but it's a thing. Guys, this is a game run by front offices, period. We'll get into it next on KMOX. All right, we're going to finish this hour up. This is just a quick topic, um, and I don't want to get too deep into it because I can't. I don't have that much time. But, you know, we've talked about it for a long time, and it's ju- the transformation is just about done. Uh, but in it, the, 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 the shift in power in Major League Baseball is basically complete, and it has gone away from the manager, and it has gone toward the front office. And what I don't really truly understand is why that bothers anybody. Because <laughs> I do, I get feedback from people all the time, like they don't like that. Well, it's not, I liked it better when it was, you know, guys like Whitey and Tony and and Billy Martin and Sparky Anderson, and they were the guy. And I, I mean, to a degree, I get it. Like, you, you, you those, those are successful managers, right? What about all the managers that sucked? <laughs> what? What about all the managers that were hired someplace and didn't do a good job, but every time they went somewhere, the front office had to adjust to their scouting methods and had to, you know, adjust to their player development ideas and all that. Because what you what people don't seem to acknowledge in all of this is that there is a massive baseball operation running. And in the old way of doing things, when you hired a Tony LaRusso, when you when you hired a Whitey Herzog or a Sparky Anderson, or you were buying the whole package, and those guys were determining a lot of things about scouting and player development. And then guess what happens when they retire or they get fired? Well, then you got to do it all over again. And what major league teams have realized over time, and they've been implementing this now for probably 15, 20 years, is that the overall structure needs to be the same regardless of who the manager is. So what you need are managers that buy into the team's philosophy, that buy into the team's way of doing business. Because those are the things that need to remain constant. You can't change your draft priorities or your player development philosophy because the manager changed. You need to have structure. And by the way, when it comes to game management, more information is better. It's 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 not better to go with one man's gut feeling, even though it it's kind of romantic and it's the way we remember things being, and sometimes the way we remember things being is better than the way things are because we're humans and when we were younger things seemed cooler. But if you if you have the choice between one person's gut feeling on something and an entire group of really smart people who have done a lot of research on a subject, having their opinions in there too, give me more information. Give me the same kind of thing I would want if you're managing my 401k 
or if I need medical treatment. I don't want just one dude coming in and like, well, here's what we're going to do. I'd like to know that there are a lot of really smart people that have a lot of experience in various things and have done a lot of research having an opinion about those type things, about important things. And I, I kind of understand it, right? I mean, because the more it's the more business-like it becomes, the less, again, the less romantic it feels, right? It used to be a game of gut feeling and all that, but that, that stuff doesn't always work. You know, for all of the stories that we can think of, that that include those positives, the Tony and the Whitey. And all, there's so many failures in that group, and it's not to say that there aren't failures now, because there clearly are failures when it comes to front offices and how they're being run and all that. There, there clearly are. But you hear this a lot in business. You hear a lot in sports, right? It's the process that matters. If you're doing things the right way, you've got a better chance, and it's all about improving chances. That's what it is. So rather than relying on the memory of a coach or a manager, rather than relying on, and and think about it this way, you know, football was in many ways way ahead of baseball in this regard when it came to game planning. Like, you know, I know it's only one game a week, so they can do it over the top. You know, they'll prepare like 80 hours for one three-hour game in the world of football. You can't do that in baseball, but you kind of can though. It's just that the manager can't do it. You know, the coaching staff can't do it. But the analytics staff can, combined with the scouting staff. And that, and, and one thing that football was able to kind of show the way on was that you can do more with more information. Now, again, that's not all that matters. The Having the talented players that are capable of doing it, having the middlemen and in, and in pro sports, the middlemen are the head coaches and the, and the assistant coaches or the, in baseball, the manager and his coaching staff having the ability to communicate those ideas, to get players to buy into those ideas is a different job. And by the way, it's a little different job than doing everything by your gut, but I think it's actually the hard part of managing. The hard part of managing is the managing people part. It's not the strategy, the strategy stuff we all figured out a long time ago. All right, hang tight. We got a lot more coming your way. Some more baseball top of the hour. We're going to check in with Derek Gould next hour. Hang on. We got more baseball for you on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.